Welcome to Democracy Matters. I'm Kara Whaley, Associate Director at the James Madison Center for Civic Engagement at James Madison University. Today, we're joined by Jesse Rathgeber, an Assistant Professor of Music Education at James Madison University and Associate Director of the Center for Inclusive Music Engagement. We're also joined by Emily Veramesa, who graduated from JMU in 2019 with a degree in music education and is now the inaugural engagement fellow for JMU Center for Inclusive Music Engagement. Welcome. Hello. Thank, Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Yes. Really excited to talk with you both. Um, so for our listeners who may have never heard of the term um, before, I wonder if you could tell us what inclusive music and inclusive music engagement are. Um, and what does inclusion mean from different perspectives? So uh, when, when I think about inclusion uh, and inclusivity in this respect, um, I often think of it in kind of two prongs. So the first prong is uh, the one that's kind of really close to my personal heart, which is this idea of making music inclusive and welcoming so that anyone, regardless of their um, uh background, their experiences, their physical um, modalities, uh, is able to engage and make music on their own and with other people. So it's inclusive in that it is geared towards uh, not just um, the majority or not just what is considered norm, but it's geared towards everyone. So it's flexible, it's broad, it, um, it is welcoming. Um, uh, another prong would be to consider it uh, from the lines of musical practices. So a lot of times um, when we say music, and if you say music in a school, and if you say music at a nightclub, and you say music at a, a performance hall, and you say music at a hootenanny, that thing that's a, that is music means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Um, it mean it might mean playing on stage with your um, violin to a um, large audience in a um, very quiet space. It might mean uh, picking up a banjo and learning a song you've never played along with friends out in the field. It might mean going and um, listening to a... Uh, uh, rap um, jazz band uh, um, playing at Clementine's. Uh, uh, it might mean all of these things, and it might involve different kinds of instruments being used. It might involve different kinds of ways of being musical, creating, listening, performing, responding. It also might include a whole bunch of different kinds of genre of music. So be that um, Western classical music, uh, marching band music, rock music, hip hop, uh, bluegrass, um, Appalachian um, folk music, old time music. Uh, inclusion in that respect and that the the center is dedicated not only to including and welcoming um, all people but all practices um, when it comes to engagement I mean we're, we're really kind of diving into the commitment that JMU has to engagement and, you know um, specifically uh, for me engaged learning is um, such a profound thing so the center is not technically a music ed entity but many music ed um, students come through the center to work on projects out in the community that mm -hmm. gets them thinking about projects so they're engaging with the community as well as engaging with the content so um, for example Emily um, was a student in um, many of my classes and we spent a lot of time out in the community um, as well as 
a lot of time in schools, not just talking about being musical and making music and creating music, but actually practicing it and really troubling the issues that would come up. Um, so engaging so deeply with the subject matter and engaging out in the community. I think that those two specifically are the things that drive at least my understanding of um, where we're at and what we're doing. Um, and so when you smush all that together, you essentially have this center that's focused on all music for all people everywhere. So a lot of constituencies. Yes. <laughs> kind of sounds like civic engagement. It kind of does. <laughs> <laughs> we mean everything to everyone and <laughs> nothing to no one. <laughs> I wonder if you could tell us what sparked the idea for the center. Well, that comes from before I was here, actually. Um, uh, David Stringham had been... Uh, um, doing some work with lots of um, students and starting to move out into the community as an early teacher. And he was thinking a lot about inclusion. And um, one of the things that sparked it was he had he went for the first day of his music tech class, and there was an um, elderly gentleman, um, a senior, um, not in a senior in college, <laughs> uh, sitting uh, in his music tech class. Um, uh, this gentleman had been a uh, psychologist and had kind of been a forefather of the American um, music therapy programs mm. um, on here on the East Coast. And he was taking advantage of this opportunity to um, take a JMU class. Um, and they got to talking about... Um, different kinds of musical ways of being. And I, um, I know that that was the kind of an early spark and it, it led eventually to, along with many students um, coming in in music education and being interested in not only music education, but also music therapy and also the kind of gray area in between the two um, that kind of created the um, need for the minor, which is the music and human services minor. Um, and that's something that Dave had kind of inaugurated a, um, a few years back. And um, now I'm the coordinator after um, he laid some really great groundwork. And I think those two things really kind of initiated this interest. And so when I came uh, uh, three years ago, uh, I turned to Dave, it had to have been a month into working and um, he, um, he and I had already hit it off and we were really thinking about what can we do more. Um, and I said, you know, it'd be really great to start something, start an institution, start a center or something like that. And he, he, this smile came up on his face and he goes, well, I have paperwork. Um, <laughs> and he'd already been thinking about it and just kind of drafting ideas and um, uh, spitballing ideas with um, administration. And um, I said, well, I'm in. Um, and so for that year, uh, and then in the summer, we really um, looked at some things. And in my second year, we really kind of pushed it out um, in the front uh, about having this space, not only um, a, like not only a uh, kind of idea of this label, but also a space. We wanted a place where people, um, space and place where people could come. Um, and so we kind of uh, found people who are interested in it um, and tried to make some movement on it to um, find a way to have this thing that could serve this big broad swath that um, students were really interested in, not all of them, but many of them, and also students from across the um, campus. It wasn't just a music ed kind of thing. Uh, 
we were really lucky that um, in the first year that our newest provost, Heather Coltman, came. Um, she and uh, the dean of the uh, College of Visual and Performing Arts, George Sparks, uh, really championed um, this idea that Dave and I had that, that came from Dave working with um, this um, gentleman, the Music and Human Services um, uh, minor, uh, the out the community engagement that Dave had been doing before the community engagement I had done and kind of helped us m make it a reality. I and mean, it came from that need. I mean, none of this was just to, none of this was a professor's like want to make a center. It was all the circumstances of um, there being need and finding a way to label something and pitch for something that really harnessed on that need and tapped into the resources. Yeah, I think it's so amazing to hear that story because it's it was a collaborative process, it was an organic process, mm -hmm. and it was addressing a need that has existed and also fits into the university's mission um, and, and strategic plan as well. Um, Emily, you just graduated. I did. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> I wonder um, if you would talk a little bit about your studies and experiences mm -hmm. both at JMU um, but also in the community, collaborating with community partners and the impact you've seen from community musicking. Yeah, so um, I was a vocal music education major here at JMU. And I, as I started doing programs um, with Jesse and Dave um, throughout the Harrisonburg community, it kind of made me question what the role of music education really is, because I think we've come to know it to be one type of thing. You know, you do band, you do choir, orchestra, something along those lines, but people are engaging with music on their own outside of schools um, in many different ways. And the demographics of, say, you know, music classrooms or even JMU music education, school of music, uh, for example, that's very different from the demographics even of Harrisonburg community. So um, going out into the community just made so much sense. It was challenging um, because, you know, it made me start to question what education looks like with music. And in a lot of ways, it's learning alongside the people that you're making music with. Yeah. Um, because music is a an art, it's a form of expression, and it can be used to communicate ideas and perspectives, um, which is kind of what we need in the 21st century, mm -hmm. um, where science, you know, is progressing, but we don't always have the arts um, effectively communicating it. So there's a disconnect, you know, um, oftentimes. So it's been really cool. I've done some work with um, the Gemeinschaft Songwriting Project. Um, and Gemeinschaft Home. Tell us what that is. Yeah. yeah. So the Gemeinschaft Home is a transitory home for formerly incarcerated men in the uh, Shenandoah Valley area. And every Monday we go and we uh, do a songwriting project with them where we basically just talk and get to know them. And sometimes there might be a prompt, sometimes there isn't. Um, but the main goal is just to talk through things and process, you know, trauma or, um, different perspectives. And we kind of help with the music aspect of it, but well, it's, it's a partnership, um, kind of turns into a hodgepodge of writing, you know, all different kinds of songs where, you know, sometimes JMU students play the instruments. Sometimes the men there have lots of musical experience, so they kind of take charge with that. Um, but yeah, it's been, we've done community events where, um, 
the men are able to share their songs that they've written and uh, have conversations with Harrisonburg community members. We've had these events at various um, restaurants and we had one event at Forbes, a concert. Um, so yeah, and it's a continuing project. And we've also done JMUK, which is, yeah. uh, we go into different like breweries, libraries, um, where are different places we've been, Jesse? Um, we've been at the Explore More Discovery Museum. Mm -hmm. uh, we've been in um, in New York at uh, the oh, uh, yeah. yeah at the uh, um, Impact Conference, uh, talking about community engagement and, and ukulele playing. You uh, and Journey went to uh, organization last year. Mm -hmm. Do you remember for the National uh, Hemophilia? foundation they had like a camp retreat and we went and taught them ukulele and we played some songs and sang the cool thing about jmuk is a lot of times it's just random people stumbling upon it and you know they maybe have never picked up a ukulele before um and it's not really approached like a class where it's like okay everyone look up here we're gonna teach you a c chord it's kind of a conversation have you ever played ukulele before here, I'll show you how to play this. And so it's a lot of one-on-one -on -one teaching um, for a few minutes. And then we have like slides up on a PowerPoint. And some people don't play. They just sing along because it's songs that people know. Um, some people really get into it and they learn a lot and leave, you know, they go and buy ukuleles and they have lots of questions. And um, but it's always it's always a great time because people are able to engage in music however they feel comfortable mm -hmm. and it's not such a formal environment um and not so performative in nature yeah, yeah. It's good. the jmu project itself is i'm um, really based off of uh, the idea of what participatory musicking can be and um mm -hmm. this notion of there is no divide between the people who are playing and the people who are listening not to say that um, a performative um, space where someone is performing and it's clearly delineated, not to say that that's not worthwhile. It's a very worthwhile thing, but there are often not as many spaces for people to be able to just jump right in. And so if you go to a brewery and when you walk in and you expect there to be a couple people and there's 80 people and they're all singing along, um, you feel like, oh, you know, well, I was just going to come here for just like to meet with friends, but yeah, I guess, I, I guess I can sing. Mm -hmm. Um, or when you have a, um, many, uh, toddlers up to eighth graders coming to the Explore More Discovery Museum and thinking that you're going to interact with, um, the cow, which I, you have to, cause it's really fun. Um, and then they go upstairs and there's just a bunch of ukuleles along with all the big, uh, um, like fabric Legos. It's a, um, you know, you, you encounter music in spaces that you might not um, otherwise expect it. And I think in those spaces, you find yourself as a musician, as a musical um, um, being in ways that you may not have otherwise. And I think that's uh, what Emily was saying uh, about the many of the people who come out and they just really full on into it um, because they're tapping into something about being a person, about being human, and about being in a, in a space um, and finding that musical voice inside of them that maybe they didn't feel had a space elsewhere. I think as I've been at JMU and engaged in some of your other programming, one of the things that has struck me is 
or and reminded me again and again is the power of music to bring people together um, and to kind of bridge some of the divides that you know, because it's participatory, because it's a collaborative process, um, you know, that people can engage with each other in ways that they might not be able to in other ways, and especially given the state of affairs in our country Mm -hmm. right now. And so I see, I've seen it just kind of build bridges or help drop walls, for example, and and bring people out in a way that the social media inhibits, um, for example, Mm -hmm. right? Um, So it's it's almost an antidote in a lot of ways um, to to some of the major challenges we have right now. Um, And I wonder if, you know, your experiences um, in, in this more participatory musicking, in these collaborative experiences, how it has informed your view of democracy and democratic engagement? Um, I think it's very democratic in nature when everyone is engaged in something together. Everyone's present in that moment and everyone's voice is relevant um, and valued and not everyone has to be the center of what's happening. So there's that group feeling, the relevance of the group rather than relevance of individuals, which as you're saying, like social media is very kind of performative in nature and very individualistic. Um, And individuals can express obviously when making music together, but it's a collaborative experience, so. Um, I grew up uh, initially in a very um, participatory musicking um, scene. Uh, uh, every holiday, my um, the, the Rathgiver side would get together, and after we'd eaten, we'd all get um, guitars out, and my grandma would get her, her um, would get to her organ, and we would sing and play. And my uncle would bring as the computers um, became a thing of our lives and, and internet, he would bring um, all these lead sheets um, and he'd just put it down and we'd all look over each other um, to, to see and play along and uh, and looking back at videos like on tape uh, um, and seeing this space where even like my really young cousins were part of it, even though they couldn't hold a guitar, they couldn't, um, they didn't know any of the songs. We were, we were doing um, Sympathy for the Devil, which I barely understood as a 12 year old, you know, um, or even got um, but they were engaged in it, and it still happens. I mean, we I went back for um, a holiday a couple of years ago, and the guitars came out again. And, and even though everyone's aged and put on pounds and um, maybe thinned a little bit, uh, but uh, the, the guitars still came out. And so, like that participatory angle has always been central to me. And I was at a really small high school, and um, I kind of made some of it participatory for me, at least, um, which was really lucky. Uh, and I always sought out that kind of participatory thing. I was in jam bands as a um, uh, as an undergraduate, and the thing that spoke so much to me—I don't think I could have said this back then. Um, I love the improvisation aspect of jam bands, but I was playing with dancers. It wasn't playing for dancers. There's this symbiotic nature of like in a jam band of um, being there. It's the same way that um, I- any improvisational musicking has this connection to the to the quote unquote audience. And so I, I didn't know what these words were. Um, and so when I when I taught, I mean, I was trying to do as much as I could, but I still did things very performance based because that's what I understood how to do. Um, it was lucky in, in graduate work coming along with um, 
with Tom Torino's uh, understanding of what what is performative musicking and what is um, uh, uh, participatory music making um, that helped me have like this sense. And from that day, it was like, well, this is kind of I want to do more of this. Um, and I think it's da- the one thing that's dangerous about the, um, people hearing that is that they think it's this or that. It's either mm-hmm. perform performative or present um, or uh, uh, participatory, but it doesn't really have to be presentational or pr- participatory. Parti- presentational, that's the word. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you can you can like both. Like I went to a thing recently and I got to play on stage. Um, I got to play drums, which I'm not a drummer, so it was really fun. Um, and I got to play. I I didn't in that moment. I didn't want. I wanted an audience to see that like I was playing and that I was um, with this band. And like that should be a space for everyone too. But I also in the same day went to a jam session, and so uh, I think it's finding ways of balancing that for me. Um, I think that balance is really important and finding more participatory spaces is important because I feel like I can engage, you know, um, in a, in a more active, um, way when I am performing, um, I get to act, but not everyone else gets to act with me. Um, and that's good because sometimes I don't want them to, (laughs) sometimes I want to act for others. I want to perform for others. But I think that if that's all we have, if we only have one or the other, I don't think we have enough act, um, enough of a balance of options. Um, go ahead. And a democratic quality of a lot of the initiatives happening in the center is that both the type of music that is being made and the way that music is made really depends on the people involved. Mm-hmm. And when you think about you know democracy, it has kind of that flexibility idealistically. Um, yeah. I wondered if you could talk a little bit about how your experiences as a primary and secondary music educator um, informed your research and approach to inclusion in music making and um, learning settings. Um, And then also, if you could talk about what you've learned through your research and practice um, and experiences about inclusion. um, I'll start with the answer um, that I, of what I've learned, and okay. then we'll move backwards to be with people. Um, this idea, that, like the word "with," is just so undervalued, <laughs> and the the idea of being with, and not just being as in being present, but like the kind of cosmic being, you know, to 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 exist with others. And I think that's what I've learned throughout all of my time, and I, that's the big kind of what inclusion is to me, is this idea of being with. Um, so as a, uh, I started as a K-12 um, a music teacher, I taught band, choir, and general music uh, at the smallest uh, school in, in um, district in Illinois. Uh, I started a marching band and um, uh, it was really interesting because uh, it, it was a relatively poor community, um, very um, rural. Uh, it was two, um, two cities who had had school districts that had now merged into one district. Um, and uh, working there, I really kind of thought about, like, what can I I just wanted to get music going even more. So I, I'd taken over from someone who'd done a really good job for the years um, prior, but had done something different. And so uh, my whole job was just really getting music going more and more in ways that uh, could be unique. So like I started the marching band up for the first time. Um, uh, and we started a musical for the first time in a long time. It was just about starting things. Um, I had always said that I would stay there 
because I really loved it, and I love the community. I'm, I'm from a relatively rural community. Um, all my friends were from the Chicagoland area, and so they always told me that, well, you're going to end up in the Chicagoland area. And I, I, I prided myself that I would be an, um, a rural downstater. Um, but I said that the only thing that would ever make me move would be falling in love and finding the right job, and I found both. <laughs> um, and so uh, I ended up teaching uh, early childhood through fifth grade um, general music, which I studied general music. That Actually, my degree is music education general music, which is kind of cool. Um, and there, um, one of the things that drove me was I was really interested in disability and special education um, uh, from working with some of the students at the prior school. Um, and at this new school, um, I had two schools. I taught the early childhood through kindergarten center, and then I taught a first grade through fifth grade um, mm -hmm. school. And the first grade through fifth grade school was really in interesting because it was an interesting mix of relatively wealthy um, uh, folk and relatively um, impoverished folk uh, and some mixes of culture. Uh, um, a large immigrant population as well as a large um, established population um, uh, living on a golf course. And so it was really interesting because I had to, I had to um, think about inclusion from the idea of race and ethnicity and um, socioeconomic status. At the uh, um, early childhood in um, kindergarten center, I was working primarily with all of the students um, who were getting early uh, screening for special education. Um, and specifically students who are um, either diagnosed as on the spectrum or spe um, autism spectrum-like um, students. So I was working with these like four or five-year-olds who were showing signs of um, having uh, communication delay and um, things like that. And, uh, and I just really wanted to make sure that my music, it wasn't just about starting music there. It was about continuing music there. Um, I could start as many programs as I wanted, but those programs would still have their own borders. And, and I wanted to make sure that it was allow, helping the students to realize that they can continue. And mm -hmm. so um, I started um, looking into adaptive instruments and adaptive things that would help students who could access things different ways. I ended up working with a, a college professor of mine um, to co-write a book about adaptive um, instruments and um, universal design for learning. Um, but I still wasn't quite comfortable with my understanding of inclusion because at that point it still was the mo primarily tips and tricks and primarily me just um, trying to search for something and search for everyday searching for things. And I was um, wanting to find ways of connecting more, to be with more. And so that's actually what drew me to my doctoral work. And my doctoral work, originally I was going to be doing things on composition, and I found out that that, uh, that wasn't my passion. Um, uh, I mean, I love composition, but it wasn't the thing that I wanted to study. And so I got um, interested in disability studies literature, which is um, a, you know, a theoretic body um, of uh, disability uh, discussions and discourses that are um, critical of me the medical model um, or that critique the, the medical model as being the only one. So there's ideas that disability is in society and that things outside of ourselves disable us. And that idea got me just really thinking about the ways in which cultures disable us or enable us. Um, and so I got really interested in talking to and being with different groups of people with different abilities. Um, I uh, was a uh, volunteer for um, three years at a, in a rock band of um, individuals with um, Down syndrome or on the spectrum. Mm -hmm. um, and at first I wanted to teach them. I wanted to jump in and teach them, and I learned that that wasn't my role because that's not what they wanted of me. They wanted a band member. 
Mm. Um, and that was a big thing because there were, um, for me, it was, it was learning how to communicate with and for myself to be with. To in, they wanted to include me. But I wanted them. I wanted to include them in a different thing that they weren't interested in, and so it was this idea of surrendering control to be brought in, to be included, to to see the um, um, autonomy of others, and to to follow that because you knew that was the best for the for the group instead of for yourself. Um, and they got me interested in um, finding out more and more in ways in which other people we're having these experiences of inclusion or being included or not being included. And around the same, um, throughout all of this, I was um, grappling with uh, depression, which turned out to be bipolar disorder. And um, so developing identity as a disabled person myself um, uh, was really important. And it helped me kind of feel that there's a, because there's a community of, of, of um, people um, in disability, and there's a community of people who are um, bipolar or who have bipolar disorder, in uh, in realizing the ways in which disability is an identity in a way that often we don't think of it as an identity, mm -hmm. and um, so that led me to eventually doing my dissertation work, which was called Troubling Disability, and um, essentially I uh, worked with uh, seven uh, persons with various um, diagnoses, and. We talked and talked and talked and talked and made music together about disability, about music, about inclusion, about everything. And then um, with their help, I created stories um, that would help others come to be with them. Um, because I could make all these suggestions about like, well, this um, person said that it'd be nice if you slowed down. But really what would help was not the suggestions, but having chances to actually walk alongside that person and, and to be in their story. And and so I think that's where a lot of my work is, is focused now is, is the idea of helping people be with others and um, to kind of walk along with them and this broader sense of inclusion. I mean, a lot of my, my other side of research is on making more inclusive and broad um, music education experiences. And so they kind of sit next to each other. Um, uh, yeah. Emily, I wonder if you can talk with us about what you're excited about in terms of programming at the center this year as you embark on your engagement fellowship? I'm really excited to kind of serve as a mentor to a lot of music ed students and anyone working with the center um, to kind of see, you know, people's understandings of how to engage with music evolve as my own understandings also evolve. Um, like Jesse was saying, being with others. Um, I'm really excited about a needs based, um, music engagement assessment that we're going to do, um, kind of a research survey of the Harrisonburg community. Um, as thorough as we can be, we're going to try to understand, how people engage with music and what kinds of music they engage with to really know, you know, the community that we're uh, existing in and that we're working with. So I'm really excited about that. Um, because when you think about like what representation is, rather than speaking for people, really giving people an opportunity to speak for themselves requires knowing who's there and who's interested in um, the things that they're interested in. So, yeah. And it allows us a really, I think that this project that you're, you're spearheading allows us to um, let the community actually decide what the programming is. Mm -hmm. As, you know, so far right now is it's been um, us 
going to communities. I mean, JMU didn't exist because Dave and I were sitting around. Um, it had it had to do with the fact there was a need, and we found um, some interest, and there happened to be some some uh, some opportunities uh, for grant money. Um, the Gemeinschaft project was there was always a need out at this um, um, place we were working with. Um, social workers we still are so Emily works um, with social work students often when she's out there um, but it, we were providing all of these things or our, our engagement with you um, uh, for uh, um, the party at the pole and rocking yes. the poles um, that wasn't just a, I want to do this it was a hey there's a need here to do something um, but that's really hard to know what n- is needed unless you give people a chance to say what they want and what they need Um, because any other way is can be really condescending like a need like well you need this Mm -hmm. so let me tell you what you need (laughs) (laughs) instead of asking how can I fulfill the need and Mm -hmm. that is exactly how we think about civic engagement Mm -hmm. as well Um, I think there's a lot of similarities there we are not trying to predetermine a need Um, but rather trying to listen and hear what the needs are and then think about, okay, how do we work with or alongside, um, you know, various partners, whether it's students or other campus organizations or community organizations, um, state, national organizations or individuals, and really think about what can we do together um, because when we come in with these top-down approaches or have a predetermined idea mm-hmm. of what we're going to do, it's not sustainable. <laughs> it's not really solving anything. Um, so, yeah. Well, and I think the tricky thing about having a more responsive um, approach to things is it's, it's slower Sometimes, and it can be so much messier, and people are, are mm. sometimes uncomfortable with that because um, it looks less efficient um, and, uh, from the standpoint of being clearly able to, to plan. And there are definitely spaces where you should be clearly planned for things. Um, but sometimes just something, a need comes up or a desire comes up that is so pressing um, that you you have to act and you have to act with. And if you don't act with, you do unintentionally sloppy things. Um, but yeah, I think it's tricky, you know, bringing up the finding people. It is a, it's it's a, often a dash between all these projects because they don't come in orderly bundles one, set, one, one after the other. They come in like 10 things right now and then we're going to have a month of of being able to kind of recuperate, but who knows? I can't plan for that. Um, and I think that's tricky. And how do you measure success with things? You know, mm-hmm. what what results or evidence are you looking for, really? Yeah. Yeah. The, the other thing that I find sometimes challenging about this approach is that because we are in this more participatory and collaborative process, um, that oftentimes by the time we get to the vision that we co-create, <laughs> something new has come up mm-hmm. and it's not so responsive. And so the need to constantly be flexible to the changing circumstances or the rising issues or the shifting demographics or, 
you know, the, the issues that become more salient um, or, you know, it becomes, it's really hard to build the structures and the capacity. And by the time you have it built, <laughs> it's time to start over again. Yeah. And I guess. And, I... and it's very, you know, we we're dealing with human beings, you know, that might be resistant to that constant change, mm-hmm. right? It can be, it can be very challenging. And, and I feel like we often just get stuck in a status quo mentality, um, that is not willing to change because of that. And I think it behooves us, and this this makes me think about like my first teaching and my second second set of teaching is this idea of starting things versus continuing things. And how do we take these things that we've created with people that now has to be changed and we show it as a continuation rather than as a upsetting the apple cart to start again? Because it's not, I mean, the, the issue is, is it's not that we're starting a brand new thing. We're it's changing, but it, it is continuing and it has to change to continue. Otherwise it dies. And I think that, um, that's a, that's such a hard thing, um, to sometimes express, uh, because you're dealing with people's, um, feelings and their visions about, um, things and their identities and, um, being really sensitive that is is important, but also so is getting the, the work done that needs to get done. And I think that's one thing that um, we've been contem- um, considering is, um, you know, what is our role um, in relationship to the School of Music and to other music organizations around the area? What is the, what in what ways can we um, aid hand in, in projects? In what ways um, can we explain what we're doing so that it's not, it's seen as this both and kind of approach. Um, and that's, that's really tricky. Um, and I'm sure that you're experiencing that as well. Yes. <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> so I have a question that we ask all of our guests. What would each of you do to strengthen our democracy? The reasons behind why more people don't engage in democracy because like we have a representative democracy, so a lot of times people don't feel empowered to engage in democracy. So I would try to find some of those reasons, whether they be access or, you know, feelings of despair or, you know, whatever that be, and help people um, in whatever way they need to feel like their voice matters. Um, so I'll default to the teacher mode of things. <laughs> um, modeling dem- um, democracy and um, activism from day one. Mm. Um, I think that sometimes uh, approaches to education, not just education, um, this could be the way that we interact with um, each other. Uh, anytime that there's someone who is modeling can model the ways that others have choices, the ways that we negotiate hard topics. Instead, we often sweep away hard topics because we have to agree, we have to agree or we have to be shown to agree. Mm-hmm. Um, and modeling, I, I don't think that democracy, as a, uh, especially democratic practices of education, can exist without a firm understanding of what it means to be an activist um, or an artivist, as, as many of my colleagues will, will, will say in the arts area. Um, because there's one thing to have autonomy, to have autonomy and to be a collective, right, and, and balancing the idea of autonomy for, um, and collectivity. The other thing is how do you um, voice problems with a collective. 
in a way that um, is clear, is, is cogent, um, and that causes people to think and not just causes people to dismiss. So that could be working with kindergartners and having choice earlier on um, in, in everything that happens with, with young kids and also getting them um, to like pick things that they think are unjust or unfair. And um, instead of saying things like, well, that's just that's just how it is. Like, what could they do about it? So a, a, a friend of mine, and I'll shout out to Martine um, Erbach <laughs> in, in, in um, uh, New York, uh, he was working with really young students, and he was trying to help them figure out ways of being engaged and being socially just And in music class. And these are really young kids. And they started complaining about, like, not complaining, but bringing up things that they were upset about. And, like, one of them that was just dog poop all over the um, uh, playground, and like that's not okay, because like that's a problem of health. That's a problem of um, them being able to go out and play. And they like came up with chants in their music class about why this dog poop on the on playground wasn't okay. And they <laughs> did like a picket line um, to the point where like the principal got it cleaned up, um, which is really <laughs> rad so to awesome. think about. <laughs> but also like what a great chance to because he was talking about rhythm and he was talking about um, phrasing and he was talking about. A meaning of music, and he was channeling that mm. into an authentic experience of engaging with democratic practices um, that couldn't leave those kids. They they had a, a higher up do something that they asked them to do through activism, and so I feel like we'd have a more democratic society if democracy was um, focused on significantly earlier on, and not just seen as choice but seen as mm. choice and voice. But but your answer about activism too. So much I feel today in our society, activism is viewed as fringe, right? Mm. Um, that you can only engage if you, you know, come to the table and, and talk, right? But so rarely things happen without activism. And... So I think recognizing that activism is a vibrant and protest are vibrant contributions to our democracy. And it can take on so many forms. Like a lot of times activism can be conversations, you know, rather than this is my stance and rhetoric and, you know, who wins this debate. But it can be specific stories, you know. Mm -hmm. um, that's how we truly start to understand each other and move forward. Yeah. And, I, and I think the arts is a wonderful place. And thinking about our center, um, the ways in which our center can continue to be engaged in activism. Um, I think that JMU is, an, is, an, is in some respects activism. I know that um, Gemeinschaft Project is, is an aspect of act, activism. Um, these men have a voice and they have perspectives. I think that that can be distilled to pre-K all the way through um, to high school to um, post-secondary and having people not just like let's replicate this protest song but like let's make a beat and um, come up with an interesting texture that communicates this idea of unrest mm -hmm. um, or now let's talk about what it feels like when um, things have come to a conclusion right like that's a great way of engaging in thinking through activism um, through making music. And I just think that, or, or um, creating um, murals together as a, um, as a collective that represent issues um, and uh, using those ways to, to start conversations. Because activism is about starting conversations as much as it is about getting new ideas into the public consciousness. Because it's about, to me, about getting an idea out there 
and then everyone having a com- an actual conversation about it mm-hmm. instead of shouting down ideas because that's not a conversation. The other thing on on activism and changing the conversation and learning is that it's also about changing behavior, right? It's about Mm -hmm. changing behavior and changing policy and structures as well. There's going to be pushback to that activism, you know, by by those who benefit, again, from from the existing structures and hierarchies. Emily, Mm -hmm. you you had an emphasis in voice, Mm -hmm. and you were also in an acapella group. Yes. I'm going to ask you on the spot if you will sing something for us to close (laughs) us out. Yes, of course. Hmm. Respect. A- oh, I can sing that. That's one of my favorite. Uh, can, I, can I stand here and go? Yes. R e s b e c t. Find out what it means to me. R e s b e c t. Nap 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 nap. Emily, Jesse, thank you so much for joining me on Democracy Matters. Thanks for having us. Hi, podcast listeners. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Democracy Matters. Editing and production was done by the talented and tenacious Leah Jackson, a senior in the School of Media Arts and Design at James Madison University. Our digital guru, Randy Budnickus, director of digital marketing at JMU, does the syndication for us. Our theme song is Sometimes It Shines by Pictures of the Floating World. Be sure to follow us on social media. You can tweet your questions and ideas to us at JMU Civic, and we'll address them in a future episode. You can also connect and engage with us on Facebook at JMU Civic. Learn more about the Madison Center online at jmu.edu slash civic. Until next time.